conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is Tim Matthews. Today we are going to be talking about the comic book Witches by Scott Snyder and Jock, along with Matt Hollingsworth, whose name I am hopefully pronouncing correctly as the colorist, but it's one of those horror comics that caught my eye because of the creative team. But before we dive in more, Tim, are you excited for some horror comic discussion today? Oh, 100%. I actually don't think I've ever talked about comic books on your podcast before. I could be wrong. I've done a lot of episodes, but <laughs> I don't. I think this might be my first comic, and I'm not mad about that being my introductory or, uh, or whatnot. I don't think you've done any comics yet either, and partially probably because I haven't covered quite as many comics as I would have liked. I know when I started this back in 2016, I think I had squeezed in a few more comic book episodes than I have lately, just because for the most part, movies are so much easier to discuss because it's like, hey, this one's on streaming and you can sit down and be done with it. Even though the same can be said about comics, especially ones like this, where it's only six issues, but horror comics in general, are they something that you really dive into? Do you have a ton of horror comics? Because for me, I have witches and I have some others that might technically count as horror comics, but unfortunately, I wasn't into comics as a kid. I never had any or read any. I had, you know, a few random issues of stuff here and there. I found like a Supergirl number two in my closet (laughs) before we moved to Colorado. And I was like, oh yeah, I vaguely remember this. I don't know if I ever read it, but something like EC Comics was never in my sights as a kid. Right. Yeah. When I was a kid, I would say as far as horror comics, no. Me growing up reading comics was definitely very much largely DC. The most I really dove into on the Marvel side in terms of comics was Spider-Man. And that was largely to, I was growing up watching the 90s Spider-Man on Fox, I think it was. And so I, I loved Spider-Man. I had the action figures. I had a bunch of the comics. And then I've, I've always been a, a mega DC person. So I I had those Star Wars comics. It was definitely something that going to the comic book store was a big deal. You know, I was I was one of those kids that if I did well on my report card, I got to go and get one of the comic books that cost $2. <laughs> so it was special when I got to get one that was considered expensive at the time. <laughs> yeah. And then outside of that, um, I'd come down to Delaware to visit my grandparents and there was like an Amish market and people would sell comic books and stuff. And I got into a lot of the pulp comics, like The Shadow, uh, Doc Savage, um, The Phantom, stuff like that. So horror came into, in this long-winded story, uh, horror came later when I got back into comics. I got back into comics because my buddy and I were in Barnes & Noble and he was buying some and he he said, you should read Death of Spider-Man. And I'm like, all right, cool, I'll read that. And then I loved it so much, I went back and read the entirety of Bendis's Ultimate Spider-Man run. And then I got back into Batman comics and I, I couldn't stop, but... I couldn't necessarily pinpoint where I ventured into horror. I know probably Swamp Thing and then Hellblazer kind of bridged some of those gaps. And then I got into Sandman 
by Neil Gaiman and fell in love. And that, that kind of introduced me to just comics outside of superheroes. And I'm a huge fan of that. You know, sometimes, especially reading the horror comics, I get deep into it and I'm loving it. And then I'm like, this has been really dark and it's time to go read some colorful heart, some uh, colorful superhero stuff again, you know? So I I take breaks from it from time to time, but I definitely got converted and big into the horror genre. Yeah. I honestly don't have too many horror comics. I have this volume of witches. I have a comic called through the woods, which is an indie comic. It wasn't released by Marvel, DC, or Image. So it's a little different in format too, because it's not the normal comic book trade size. It's kind of more of a square book. And really, you know, some superhero comics can end up being horror comics because I think Batman The Long Halloween, which is one of my favorites, it's easily in my top three still. It has this horror element to it, just in the style and in the story as well. But Oh, for sure. I've started getting into them a little more lately because DC started the Hill House imprint, which is an entire imprint where Joe Hill is curating horror comics. He's writing, I believe, two of the five or six titles that are ongoing right now, and they're all going to be limited series, maxi series, mini series. I don't know what they are calling them these days, but (laughs) I think they're all going to be about 12 issue runs. And they have some I really good stuff in there. There's this one comic by Carmen Maria Machado called The Low Low Woods that I'm really enjoying. And at the time that we are recording this, comics are still on a pause, but they will be coming back, I believe, May 20th, May 27th, or kind of the first two weeks where the publishers are going to start releasing comics That's wonderful. in comic book stores again, provided that you know they're able to open back up and everything, which... A lot, I think, are still doing curbside pickup, which is good, but it's really just about people being willing to go out and go buy comics from a local comic book shop. And, you know, I think we can go ahead and dive into Witches here because I had gone through my comics on my shelves and I was like, okay, which ones would I really, really want to talk about for the podcast? And Witches is definitely one of them because... I didn't know anything about Scott Snyder's work until I read his Batman run with Greg Capullo. And then I was like, oh, okay. I was the same way. He did Batman the Black Mirror, and that, I believe, was with Jock as well. So I then went and bought that after reading some of his New 52 stuff for DC. And when you find out that these creators you really, really enjoy have creator-owned work elsewhere instead of just working on these big superhero characters... I'm always so intrigued to see what comes of it. With witches, was it something you knew about or was it something you just kind of stumbled upon like I did? For me, when it came to witches, because like you said, you're already reading kind of the superhero stuff that, you know, a particular writer that you end up really liking is involved in. And when I started getting back into comics, that was right kind of at the perfect time with Scott Snyder's Batman. And I want to say Black Mirror was his fir- was the first Batman of his that I read. I could have that wrong. It was definitely early on. But then, you know, I was obsessed with his New 52 Batman run, Court of Owls, Death of the Family. Talk about horror elements finding their way into superhero comics. So when it came time for Witches, I was already full-fledged kind of, uh, you know, obsessed with Scott Snyder's work. So from the announcement of it, I was anticipating it. I was waiting for it. And 
I owned the trade, but I was I was purchasing this one issue by issue, and I was I was super stoked about it. Yeah, the only bummer was that when it was over, it was over. I was like, wait, I know <laughs> they're not doing more issues, and it doesn't seem like they are because they did neatly wrap up the story from start to finish. And even though it's a little open ended. At the very end, I just felt like this was such a good story to where they might risk not having something as good if they were to try to continue it in a different way. They are actually continuing it. Okay. I have it. uh, I haven't read it yet. There was a Halloween special, just like a big issue. I forget how many pages it is, but it's a I've owned it since it came out. um, And shamefully, I haven't read it considering how much I love this comic and Scott Snyder's writing. So probably after the recording of this podcast, I'll dive into that. But that is apparently just like a really good standalone story. But I do know that he and Jock have not only mapped out the next arc, I'm pretty positive they've turned in uh, some, uh, some issues. Okay, good to know. I'm not saying I'm not confident in their ability. But right, I right. Think yeah. They have to be really creative with how they pick it back up, given how they left Absolutely. off by yeah. the end of issue six. And it is, it is one of those great just endings, but open-ended where you can kind of, uh, in, in kind of classic horror ways of there's just the, uh, you know, usually there's the, the final scare and you're just like, Oh, what, what was going to happen next? But you don't need anything to happen next. So if they, I, I agree with you, like if they weren't doing more, I would be fully satisfied, but I'm so excited for, for more of this. And I, I, like you said, I'm confident, but I, I am also hoping it, it lives up to it because this, this was definitely something special. Yeah, so for anyone who hasn't read it, we are going to dive into some spoilers soon. But just the general gist of it is that it follows this family, the Rooks family, Sailor, Charlie, and Lucy. And Sailor had this incident where she watched this girl die and the plot is that they move to a neighboring town to try and start over but this thing just keeps following them and haunting them and you get a nice little twist at the end that gives you the reason why it doesn't go away just because they moved and I think they did so much in six issues to where when you finish reading the trade you're like okay, I need to let that sink in. And I am pretty sure I had read this before, but even going back to it again, I was like, oh, there's a lot that I probably kind of just rushed through and didn't catch on to because personally, when I read comics, I tend to go through them pretty quickly (laughs) and I might not necessarily notice all the little details and the panels and everything. So going back and visiting this one again, it really just gave you this sense that, okay, these people know how to portray a horror story in comic book form because with horror stories in comics, you don't want this clean cut art that we often see with the house styles of Marvel and DC. Yeah, it's such a cool and unique visual way to to present the story. Uh, reading in the back of the the, if anyone has the trade or if you're you're or if you don't have the trade but you know you enjoy enjoy the story highly recommend getting the trade it's got some really cool behind the scenes stuff in the back of it one of the things is you know jock talking about how they mixed kind of the digital with watercolors and 
I think they call it acrylic imagery or something. It's yeah. It's such a, a cool presentation um, that really suits the mood of the story. And I was the same way. I mean, when I so when I read this, it was month to month. And you know, there's the back and forth. There's uh, in the storytelling. Um, you know, you need to pay attention when you go page to page, where it gives the gear. So because uh, if you don't, then all of a sudden you're halfway down a page. And this <laughs> happened to me a couple times, even reading it. Again, where I'm halfway down page, I'm like, wait, what? How do we get here? Oh, that's right. This is 2011. Yeah. <laughs> and the last page was in 2014. It can jump past you uh, pretty easily. And reading it month to month, what I remember getting to the end and being utterly blown away, but then being like, wait, like, what did I read six months ago? And I went back and I had to read the whole thing, the, you know, in a row. And I don't even think it came out six months in a row. I think it no. had sort of a funky release schedule because when you yeah. look at the back of the trade and you see the dates for when Scott Snyder wrote the things after each issue, you're like, oh, this kind of had a funky release schedule because it started in like 2014 or 15 and it ended like almost a year later or something. So it didn't have the most consistent release schedule, which we have yeah. seen with other image titles. And because they're creator owned, I think image gives them a little more leeway. Like Saga has been on a hiatus for, I don't even know how long. And you have the walking dead just ending. <laughs> so yeah. you have these weird things that happen with the comic book schedule sometimes, especially when you have someone like Scott Snyder working on Batman. <laughs> Obviously, Everything. that is going to be a priority, probably because it pays a little better than creator-owned comics as well. Yeah. He's got another great horror comic that, you know, the weird delays with witches are, like, frustrating, but I'm also super used to it because one of the ones that I dove into, you know, amidst his Batman was he has one called American Vampire, which yes. I really recommend. And I became obsessed with that one, too, and I loved it. And but it, I was so far behind, so I was able to plow through a bunch of volumes, and then I caught up. And I'm not even sure where I left off. I'd love to go back and try and figure out what was the last thing they they've written and what was the last thing I read because I ended up falling off of it because I just couldn't keep track of when they were coming out because it was just like I an issue would come out, you know months and months af afterwards and then I had completely forgot about what I read previously and I was just like I can't do this I, I just have to wait for a trade yeah and that one actually came out through vertigo so that's even oh, weirder yeah. that it didn't have this sort of strict schedule and then he also has a comic called severed and very good I haven't read that one at least I don't think I have, but I definitely read the first volume of American Vampire because I saw Stephen King's name was attached to it. And right. <laughs> it was one of those things where I didn't go back to it after that because I think I had borrowed it from my friend and she only had the first one and I never sought out the rest. And there's like seven trades of it now yeah. or nine or something kind of crazy. Stephen King's name is is right on the front of this one saying it's fabulous, a triumph. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, it all comes full circle of geekdom and chat cemetery. <laughs> story of my life. But <laughs> I think we can dive into some spoiler territory here now. So if you haven't read it, turn this off, go buy it, go read it. And hopefully you will enjoy it as much as Tim and I do. But really, this family is just 
so wild because you have this bully, Annie, going after Sailor, and she gets sucked into this tree and just totally annihilated, but at the same time, she's rejected because they live in this area where there are these witches in the woods that aren't your typical witches, but it's like every year or something, someone has to be pledged to them as this sort of human sacrifice, and they end up in a tree, (laughs) which is kind of weird, but you see at the beginning that there's this boy whose mother ends up in the tree, and he just looks at her and says, pledged is pledged. And it's just such a harsh scene (laughs) to start off. And then you get all of this stuff going on with the Rooks family, and you find out that it was the mother, Lucy, who pledged their own daughter because she wasn't fitting in, she had anxiety and didn't really stand out in a way that they were wanting her to. And it was just all of this negativity the entire time. And you could tell that the dad, Charlie, was trying to lift her up, get her to go out and make friends and do normal teenager things. And not every teenager is built to constantly be hanging out with people and going out and playing sports and things like that. And it was so obvious that Sailor wasn't that way. So when you get to that twist, you're like, geez, that is brutal. Because basically the mom had pledged Annie to try and get them to leave the daughter alone. But then when that didn't work, she was like, okay, well, I'm just going to pledge the daughter. And she knew this before they even moved to a neighboring town. Right. Scott Snyder even admits this in one of the things he wrote in the in the back of the trade. It's a mean book. Like, it is dark. It is chilling. Uh, it is brutal. Annie getting ripped into the tree. And this whole discussion throughout the book of what what are you... What are you willing to sacrifice in order to have kind of something magically given to you that you otherwise wouldn't have? And when you learn about these other townsfolk and the police officer and you, you learn that these people, you know, who knows how many people have been pledged just because someone wants to to live a little longer. And you kind of start to wonder, it's like, well, what's their story? You know, what what brought them to to that point you know were they just kind of a terrible human being and they were willing to sacrifice whoever or was something so horrible in their life that it drove them to that and lucy kind of alludes to something of that sort with her husband and the witches that she she seems to at least accuse his struggle and his negativity as being the thing that drew them out drew them to them because as she said, her family had been safe for a long time, but somehow they they found they found her again, um, and she seems to blame Charlie for that. But at the same time, she's willing to reset her marriage and live in happiness with her husband while being willing to sacrifice her only daughter and forget completely about her. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it, yeah, like the, her rationalizing like. This would be the best thing for us. We can start over and we won't even remember her. So there's no pain. Like it's yeah, we could just have another one. It's fine. <laughs> I know. It's heart-wrenching. And when you have that speech in comparison to when he's searching for her 
in the tree and it's going back and forth with that conversation that the two of them have. I think it's in the hospital and she's trying to explain to him how her brain works and everything. And that, you know, she wishes that it could be different. She wished that she could have a, it could have been a big sister and they could have had someone who was normal and him just saying to her like, no, you were exactly the child that I ordered. You know, it's it this this beautiful moment between them in juxtaposition to the willingness from the mother to just throw that away. It's heartbreaking. And it, even reading it this time, it's like I kind of like forgotten the ending. And I'm just like, I'm like, this book is mean enough for him to have just gone along with that. And, the, and then there's the moment that he, you know, slaps the whatever green stuff on them so that they'll come after them instead of her. And, and I'm like, ah, oh, yes. And then you sort of have like this post-credits ending, if you will, with the comic where you see this separate scene where this young boy is being taken, not even a young boy, literally a baby is being taken from his mother. And, you know, it sounds like it's her brother who comes in and just sort of incapacitates her so she can't do anything and tells her not to look and the witches come and take the boy away. Yeah. So I think maybe that was like our hint as to what is going to come next. It's not going to necessarily rely on the Rooks family entirely like this one arc does. And, you know, it's one of those things where whenever they put volume one on the front of something, I'm like, okay, that gives me hope that there could be a volume two, even though we know that there are... There's plenty volume ones out there that there's no volume two. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you never know with comics because, again, with Scott Snyder, he is so big in the comic book world now. Mm -hmm. So, so massive. It's like once you hit Batman level, you kind of can't go any further than that because it's like if you write Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, that's like the holy grail of comic book characters. And granted, you don't need to write those characters to be big in comics. You have plenty of people like Gail Simone, Kelly Sue DeConnick, who do their own thing and have worked on characters like Batgirl, The Punisher, whatever, you know, Becky Cloonan as well. She's the one who's worked on The Punisher. But you have these creators who are just so good at making their own worlds that they can succeed without having to hit those holy grail of characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's he's written Batman, he's written Superman, he's written Justice League. I know for myself, I mean, I absolutely loved, you know, his work on the Batman comics, but I I was super excited for, and I know he's still doing a bunch with the superheroes, and I'm totally okay with that, but it it did it was reaching a point where i was just kind of like oh, i want to see like what's the next story he's going to tell what's the next independent idea that he has and that's when you get stuff like this he he always injects this level of storytelling that feels deeply personable even if it's super outlandish you know it you you really feel like you get into the soul of batman when you're when when i'm reading his stuff with this it's as horrific and strange and weird this world is uh, i'm completely latched on to these to these characters and you get emotionally tied to them within six issues you know like you said they cover a lot in six issues and it doesn't feel bloated i think at most 
you kind of feel out of place at certain points when you're reading it. But I think that's the point. And then when it all comes together, you're just like, oh, my God. And the fact that he takes the idea of what a mother figure should be and turns it on its head, you're just like, wow, the cruelty of all of this. And that's what I think makes for good horror stories. You have to have these antagonists who might not be expected, but are just so powerful in how hateful they are, basically. You know, I just recently read Bag of Bones for Chat Cemetery, and you have certain characters who are just evil at the core, and you can tell that even if Lucy had good intentions at one point, by the time we get to that reveal, it's just like, no, you cannot justify this at all. You know, it's not like your kid is a serial killer (laughs) or something totally horrific. Then they put you through pages of her trying to rationalize it. (laughs) Yeah. And you're just like, you're like, oh my God. And there's not a moment of, of me sitting there reading it and being like, oh yeah. And you know, that makes sense. It's like, no, you're horrible. But at the same time, it's so believable that she has thought this through you know the history of her family she's so aware of it she's so aware of the horror and the danger and the sacrifice but also this weird rationalization of the light at the end of the tunnel if you just give in and it's it's (laughs) to say the least (laughs) yeah I do want to go back to something you mentioned earlier with the art, because you have Jock drawing and inking it, and then you have colors by Matt Hollingsworth, and the way that those two combined their talents to make this as visually stunning without necessarily needing to be clean-cut art is just amazing, you know? You and I don't know the exact details of how they make this all come together, but when it works, it really, really works. And Mm -hmm. I think the way that they made it so that certain things weren't as clear as maybe you'd like them to be just played into the mysteriousness of the story so well, because you're like, wait, is that a shadow or is that one of the witches or is there something else going on? And then you have that bald lady who goes to Charlie and just the character designs too. You're like, oh, wow, these are some powerful images here just with how these characters look and then the way they act and interact with each other. It's what really puts this comic book over the top, I think. And you can have a great story from the writer, but then if the art doesn't match up to that story, sometimes it can leave you like, oh, okay, I really like the story, but I there was just something about the art that didn't quite click with me. And I think this is one of those times where it just all works so seamlessly. Absolutely. And there's definitely been comics where I'm absolutely loving the story, but I'm just not feeling the art at all. And if I'm not feeling the art, then why am I reading a comic book? And so I, I unfortunately have dove off uh, storylines that I was enjoying, but if if I'm if I'm not feeling the art, then it uh, I I need that push and pull between between the, them all. And one thing that you you mentioned about kind of the messiness of some of the artwork, and you're sitting there and you're like, was that a witch? Was that a tree? What's so cool about that is 
like in the in the back of the the trade when Scott Snyder talks about um what inspired him to kind of dive into the story it was these woods that he and a childhood friend would go venturing out into and they came up with just these fictional stories of these witches and monsters being in the woods and they'd go out and they'd they'd have these adventures and they'd find weird stuff in in the woods they'd go witch hunting basically yeah. even though the witches weren't real <laughs> yeah and then they had this moment when they were younger where his one friend thought he saw this like gigantic creature peek out from behind a tree and then they couldn't find it but he was like rattled by this and then in the story Scott Snyder talks about going back and and finding it like I'll just read this short excerpt because it like perfectly matches with the effect that the artists were able to create to preface this he went back to to the woods um, right before he ended up writing this comic and so he's in the woods during this time Uh, I stepped off the main road, started walking through the ferns and brush towards taller trees, and that's when I saw the witch. I kid you not, something leaned out from behind the trees, something tall and skeletal and dark, and I froze. I froze, and that strange hot chill of terror shot through me, and I was a kid again, deep in the woods, and that thing was looking at me through the trees. It had been waiting here all along, hadn't it? It had known I had come back, and it had been patient. Of course, a moment later, the sun shifted and the witch vanished, somehow changed into a tree, a freakishly human-looking tree, but still, and my body relaxed, and I turned and walked away. And just like that chilling description that I'm sure plenty of us have felt, you know, as a kid or later in life, where you see that thing out of the corner of your eye, and you're so sure of the horrifying thing you just saw, but then a moment later, it's normal, and you're just like, was did did I see something ter- terrifying? Was that a monster? Was that a witch? And it's like that description, The I'm, I'm guessing in his discussion of making this comic, he told that story. And it's like the artwork just perfectly took that personal experience of his and infused it into the art. And it's, it's stuff, like, stuff like that is just incredible. I love it. Yeah, and I do want to apologize for saying earlier that this had a weird release schedule. It did in fact come out six months in a row, but it has been since 2015 that there's been this long gap of people waiting to see if there's going to be another one. Ah, and it was okay. last year, <laughs> I believe, where Scott Snyder mentioned that him and Jock were going to be working on it again. So like you said, they've probably already submitted some issues. And depending on when things start to go back to normal for not only the comic book industry, but everyone you know maybe we'll see some announcement on that soon but either way there are some comics that have had weird release schedules and it is not normal to have a five-year gap in between you know story arcs here but like we said scott snyder is a busy busy dude and you know i just really admire how much he's been able to put out and obviously some of the horror stuff like american vampire and the wake ended up being on Vertigo, which is probably what led to him being on Batman because Vertigo was where DC was doing some different kinds of stories. That's where they had some of the more mature stuff like Hellblazer, Preacher. They did Why the Last Man on Vertigo. And you just get these different kinds of stories that aren't necessarily rooted in the kind of 
good storylines that you think of when it comes to superheroes. And I don't mean good as in, oh, this is a good or bad story. I just mean when it comes to characters doing good. So you had sort of this darker side to DC with Vertigo, and now they're doing that with Hill House comics. They've had lots of different imprints over the last few years. And I really just hope we get to see, which is volume two, Sooner rather than later, I probably (laughs) won't pick up single issues like you did, but I am eagerly awaiting what comes next for this comic and the creative team because they just work so well together. And I'm going to start sounding like a broken record if I carry on too much longer. But Tim, do you have any final thoughts? I think we covered, you know, just about everything we can. You know, it's it's a cool, dark, mean comic with you know, in- incredible art and uh, a mythology within six issues that feels endless. Like I, I can't even imagine where they're gonna where they're gonna take this. And you know, like we said, if if we only had this one volume, I'd be completely satisfied in the story they told. But if we get to dive into some deeper stuff and kind of explore this this world of these horrifying monsters that are witches i'm super into it and you know just bring on more and more horror comics and you know now like i said after we wrap up i'm gonna have to go read that halloween special because now i'm in the mood and i'm looking (laughs) over at my shelf and i've got like four horror volumes that sometime around halloween i went into the comic shop and just said to the guy i'm like i'm looking for some horror comics and he just gave me a pile and he's like take these and uh, it's too far away i can't read what they are but one of them's called death head i know that and then there's another one that's kind of like exorcism based i think i don't know but i'm just excited for more and more unique stories and so thank you for having me on for this to dive back into this wonderful weir- weird world of of witches and horror comics of course and to those of you who are still listening and have checked out this comic Definitely try and support your local comic book store right now if you can. Unfortunately, the one I was going to closed before everything happened for a totally different reason. So I'm kind of on the hunt for another comic book shop and now does not seem to be the best time to try and find a new one because I can't actually go to any of them. Oh, yeah. I I, I hope that they I hope shops can find something to manage this time. I, I like you said, I know a number of them are doing the curbside to go. So if you know what you're looking for, you know that's that's all right that you can keep giving them business. I think I've seen a couple sites or or posts around of of ways that you can support some local shops while also online. So I'm sure doing some Googling people can find something that works for their local area. So hopefully we can just support the things we love and the world comes back to normal soon and hopefully among all the weird and terrible things happening that the witches from this book don't turn out to also be real because i have woods near my house and (laughs) i kind of want to go explore but kind of not because it's now spooky and gloomy outside weirdly (laughs) yeah we have a forest nearby too so i understand (laughs) that feeling but let's go witch hunting (laughs) (laughs) new plans for the evening yes (laughs) All right. Well, Tim, thank you again. And everybody, like I said, go read some comics.
All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. You can sign up for a dollar a month. That'll get you a thank you on the show. $2 a month, you get to pick a topic that myself and a guest will discuss on the show. For $5 a month, you can join the Welcome to Geekdom Slack group, where you can talk to myself and various guests who have been on the show. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at GeekdomPod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.